0: You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. So we're continuing on soul, spirit, operation. You said, is that really what the name of that series was? Well, it was called Soulish and Spiritual operation. Soulish in that is a verb of action. So because the name was so long, we shorten it soul spirit operations. We'll just make it easier that way. In fact, if, yeah, so we'll just shorten it up and this is called and their dilemma part two or alleged dilemma. And so I really want to bring something before you to show the importance of the decisions that we make within our life. And let me just bring a little bit of a review for those who are not caught up uh, in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. It says, there it goes. Hallelujah work in Jesus name. (laughs) It says, then the Lord, God formed a man. Just get that ready. Just in case. Uh, Then the Lord, God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living being. I want you to notice in this passage of scripture, you have one element called the dust of the earth. The second element is God's breath. And then notice when he breathes uh, that second element into the first element, there's a third that's created called the soul. Okay, so we're dichotomous as well as trichotomous dichotomous, meaning there are two parts by division, three parts by function. We see in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter three, verse two, it says all go to the same place. All come from dust and to dust all return. So notice we see here Ecclesiastes written by uh, Solomon, who was the wisest man in the earth up until the time of Jesus. We see that there when we return, when we die, what happens? You go down to the ground in which you came forth, according to Genesis chapter two, verse seven, Luke chapter 23, verse 26. This was Jesus up on the cross and says, Jesus called out with a loud voice, says, father into your hands. I commit my it doesn't say soul. It doesn't say body. It says spirit says into your hands. I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he did what he breathed his last and what ended up happening, it was not just an ex, uh, expelling of natural breath, but it was the expelling of his, uh, the spirit inside of him by which he went before the Lord. And it says also uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, you have come to the God of the judge of all the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I want you to notice it says that you have come to the God the judge of all of the spirits of the righteous made perfect. So when you die, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, your body goes down to the ground and then your spirit goes before the Lord. And what you have to understand is that is not the end of this matter. We know that Jesus is coming at the end of the age. It is a promise that we have as well as an it is an orthodox doctrine within the Christian church. According to the book of Hebrews chapter one and two, there are six primary principled doctrines. The last two is resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And it's in these two, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, which is going to come at the end of the age. We have a guarantee that when he comes back, there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. You and I are going to be resurrected. That means your face that has the wrinkles isn't going to have wrinkles no more. Those of you who have craters because you are like me, you had pimples when you were a teenager. Guess what? Vanish. They're going to be all gone. You're going to be glorified. You, women, you're going to be beautified. You're going to be wearing the glory of God. You will not need all of this makeup stuff. He will be your makeup. And all the ladies of the house says. Amen. Oh, there should have been a louder amen than that. Come on. Are you here? You're like, oh, hallelujah, I don't have to spend all this money on whatever the latest brand is right now that seems to take up our savings in order to get for my wife. Come on, over here. <laughs> I love my wife, but she looks beautiful. She looks beautiful because she wears the glory of God. You know, Peter talks about this. Don't let your adornment be in all these things, but be the glory of God. Amen. Amen. So like one preacher said, hey, if the, if the barn needs some paint, put some paint on the barn. So there's nothing wrong with it, but thank God that when Jesus comes back, we won't need any more paint. He will be our glory and all the men say, so that means all you burly man that are at 20 years old and 30 years old and you look like Hercules, you're going to start sagging pretty soon. Those pecs that are up here going to go into a one keg right here. This is going to shrink and this is going to, is this going to increase. The fat of your land is going to increase. Mm -hmm. That's right, brother. You look really good, but in 10 years, we look again, man. (laughs) Jesus is going to make us look so good like GQ magazine walk off the cover. And all the guys say, and all the women say. Yeah. Hallelujah. How do we get off on that? Amen. I better get back on track. Amen. Resurrection. Thank you. I knew there was some spiritual reason why I was going down that bunny trail right there. So the beautiful thing is, is we're go- there's going to be a glorification because there's going to be a resurrection at that day. Amen. So we find that in Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 through 13, it says for the word of God, say the word of God, God. not the news tabloid. Come on. Are you here? Not CNN. It says, for the word of God is alive and it's active, sharper than any double edged sword. Now, notice what the word of God does. It penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit. So it actually can be divided. What has the capacity to divide between motivations and intentions? The word of God. Okay. Most of us want to be judged by our intentions, not by our motivations. Some of us do things, you know, and I can speak as a parent. Sometimes we have intentions for example, for our kids, we have an intentions. We want to protect them, but sometimes our motivation, it can be out of fear. You see the difference? That's why motivation and intention are different. Okay. And we want most people to judge us by our intentions, not by what motivates us. But the word of God comes to bring a division between intentions and motivations. And and, and so we have to understand that God deals with motivations, why you do the things you do not is what your expected outcome is. We want people to judge us on what we intended is an outcome, not the process by which it came about, which deals with our motivation. This is why there's a difference between motivation and intention. Amen. We want everybody to see and we posture. Well, that wasn't what I meant. Yeah. But look at the process of what you did. Right. We want people to judge us on our expected outcome of what we intended. But when we begin to examine the motivation, which is what God does. And so this is this whole series is dealing, bringing the distinction between motivations and intentions. So it says this, uh, uh, that it's double edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit joints and marrow. It does what it judges what the thoughts and the intents or the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And this is what we have to understand that when Jesus comes back, that curtain, if you will, that divides by which we are in the natural world. And there is a curtain that divides us between the spirit world and the natural world. And right now, what happens is we position, we usually posture ourselves in this world, but you have to understand that between this, God has the ability to see at the end of the age, that curtain is going to drop when he descends. Listen, that division, that curtain is we are going to see things as they really are. We're going to see motivations as he sees motivations and we're going to be judged according to those motivations. And when we still stand before him and we say, but that wasn't what my intention was, he's going to be, yeah, but this is what your motivation and it will clearly be seen by all people. That's why please don't live Live a life of hypocrisy, because even though you may be able to deceive yourself as well as other people know this, that you will not deceive him. And at the end of the age, everything will be exposed. And everyone says, are you guys okay? Is this a good uh, Sunday morning service? Amen. (laughs) All right. So we notice here in first Thessalonians chapter five, verse twenty three, may God himself say God himself. So he's the one who does it. The God of peace sanctify you or set you apart through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. So he isn't interested in just giving you insurance for your spirit by which you make it to heaven. He wants you to be sanctified spirit, soul, and body so that you live a successful Christian life while you're here on planet earth. And everyone says. What's interesting are two powerful points. That are preceding this particular scripture that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 23. Verse 22 says, this is the previous verse that I just quoted. It says, rejoice always. Are you rejoicing always? Notice this is a command. Rejoice always. It doesn't say complain always, which we're used to doing. It says, rejoice always. Pray continually, not complain continually. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, which means even the ones that aren't good. Now, you're not thanking him for the circumstances, but you're thanking him in the midst of those circumstances. You see the difference? This is what marks you as a spiritual person. Any carnal person can sit there and complain about their circumstances, and many of us do, including myself. Okay? So this isn't to flog you. This is a learning lesson for all of us, how we must conduct ourselves in all circumstances. Amen. Good as well as bad and everything in between. It says, for this is God's will. You want to know what God's will is? Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. That is the will of God. So all you have to do is pull up a profile, a video camera of the past week, and see if you've complied to these scriptures. And that will determine whether you're doing the will of God. Many of us go, the will of God is, I got to be doing this and doing that. No, what is your character throughout the week? In every circumstance, in every situation that determines whether it is, it's not an event that you create or some type of a benchmark or a particular goal. I've done this and therefore I must be in the will of God. Most of us as Christians, or I should say many of us as Christians oftentimes look at certain accomplishments as being in the will of God. But the accomplishment of you being in the will of God is allowing the spirit of God to dwell inside of you, bringing sanctification to your life, spirit, soul and body. So stop looking at it like I've reached this goal. The goal is you, not an event that occurs within your life. So notice that's what precedes this. After you do your part and you take personal responsibility, then may the God of all peace sanctify you, spirit, soul, and body. So once you do your part, he does his part. Don't do your own part that you want that's totally carnal and then expect the God of peace to do his part. I'm preaching better than you're responding here. Oh, this is strong preaching, pastor. No, it's just called regular preaching. Notice this. What proceeds this verse after? May the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body became blameless to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 24 goes on. The one who calls you is faithful and he will die. Do it. We have a promise that once you do your part, he absolutely will do his part on your behalf. You see, you're doing the natural part. He's the one who adds the super to that natural. He is uh, has the ability to bring this accomplishment within your life. And everyone in this house says, hallelujah. Thank you for that, Jesus. All right, let's go on. That's enough. <sighs> Notice this. We talked about Agabus. How many remember Agabus? We talked about this two weeks ago. There are some that are here that didn't raise their hand. So again, let me bring a little bit of a review. Because we're a house that believes in the activity of the Holy Spirit today. Amen? Jesus isn't just historical. He isn't just coming back in the future. He is a God who is active amongst us today. And should be active in your life today. Says, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus... Say Agabus. Agabus. It's a nice name. It came down from Judea, coming over to us. Notice what he did. He took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this bell and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So notice that in prophetic people are usually like this. They're very creative. They're very dramatic. All you have to do is look at the Old Testament. You know, many people in Hollywood are actually have prophetic. This is why they're usually leaders in these particular areas of creativity in the arts. So we see here that there is a prophetic utterance that's given to uh, the Apostle Paul. Now, notice what the response of the church was. It says this in verse 12. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded. Notice we pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded We gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. What I want you to notice here is that the Apostle Paul eventually in this vets a word that came from a prophet through his cause. I want you to write this down. It's a very important point because sometimes, especially in a prophetic house like this, I find that there's a lot of... Uh, There can be misunderstandings and people can get off because they're looking for words. And especially if you're looking for. Listen, you don't need to look for prophecies. You need to look for the Holy Ghost. Okay, so many people will go to this place and go to that place and go to prophetic conferences and get words. And what they're doing is they're seeking God's will or cause in a word. Rather than understanding words are to bring confirmation to your cause. Did you hear what I said? If I was to listen and obey and try to make out of my own strength, try to bring a fulfillment to every word, I'd be the most confused individual on planet earth because this person would be telling me this and this person would be telling me this and this person would be telling me this and this person would be telling me I'd be walking around in circles going, where am I going? Where am I going? And if someone was the counsel, me, they would say, well, this prophet told me this and this prophetic answer said this and this person said this and this person said this. So I'm confused. But we see the apostle Paul did not allow a legitimate prophet that gave a specific word to bring a detracting from his cause. Notice the only thing that he does is he brings a word, but he brings no interpretation to the word. In other words, he did not inject this prophet. This is why this is a mature prophet, because he just says this is what's going to happen. He doesn't say therefore. You see the therefore is an interpretation. This is why the more spiritual are, the more that you won't, uh, you'll speak the word of the Lord, but not bring interpretation to the word, to the word. Come on. I was talking with uh, Adams here, Uh, even with the internship, you know, we, I think we've had over three people. Well, it's not my season or they'll hear someone say things like this and bring an interpretation to their season. But listen, when the word of the Lord comes, listen, you have to understand it's not to invoke what you think. The, the, the intel that comes to you needs to confirm what's already inside of you. So this we see right here, the apostle Paul vets it through the cause. OK, there could have been someone who says, I said, Paul, it's just not your season to go to Jerusalem. No, I'm going to Jerusalem. He did not allow a prophetic word to dissuade him from what he knew he was called to do. This is why you got to be careful. People want to sit there and give you words because they'll be speaking things sometimes out of their own hurt, their own pain, out of their own past and try to impute something to you when God actually might be telling you something else. Are you here? Does that make sense? Now, the apostle Paul and his cause, what is his cause? Number one, he knew that he would actually suffer. In fact, this is literally the word of the Lord. Let me go back there. It says in Acts chapter 20. So this is one chapter before this occurrence. You got this? Now watch this. In verse 20, in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23, it says, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to what? Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. Verse 23. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit, this is Paul uh, uh, saying this. The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. So the apostle Paul, when he gets a word from Agabus, he's like, I already know this. Agabus was not telling him anything new. This was all new to the church. That's why they're like, oh, please don't go. And Paul had to say, hush up, please. This is my season to do this. Don't sit there and what you think my next season is. Mm -hmm. And this is by a seasoned prophet. So the prophet just said, this is what's going to happen. But he never imputed his interpretation saying, therefore, this is your season. Only Paul could determine that. Why? Because prophecies and words that come from people will bring a confirmation to the cause that the Holy Spirit is already put inside of you. And so if the cause is inside of you and says, this isn't your season. Listen, that's not for them. That doesn't mean it's not for you. Are you here? This is why you got to distinguish between spiritual operations and spiritual words versus soulish words and soulish uh, imputations of interpretations. Does that make sense? Furthermore, not only the Holy Spirit spoke this and warned him that in Jerusalem, all these things would happen. It's actually part of the very cause of what he was raised up for. We see this in Acts chapter nine. This is Ananias. Remember when Ananias is told about Saul? And he's like, oh, I know about this guy. I don't know. And it says, Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Verse 15, this is powerful. Watch this. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And it doesn't even stop there. He gives even more private intel to the man's cause. It goes on to say in verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Think about that. God didn't even have to give this intel to this man called Ananias, but he showed him and gave him prophetic insight into the cause as well as what the cause's requirement is. This is why there are requirements for my life that are requirements of your life. Come on. Are you here? We know that Jesus drank a cup of suffering. This is what he said when he was at the garden, right? It, you know that he was to drink this cup. And what was that cup? That was a cup of suffering. In fact, the disciples came to him and said, hey, can we? He said, can you drink the cup that I do? They're like, yes, we can. They didn't even know what they were asking for. He goes, indeed, you will drink of this cup. What was the cup? It was a cup of suffering in which he would bring glory. Now, I don't know about you. That isn't a prayer I prayed. Lord, I want to drink that cup of suffering because I want to bring glory to you. Come on. Are you here? (laughs) But how many know that we have to be willing to serve Christ in any manner he wishes? Because he is the Lord. We're not the Lord of our own life. The issue isn't salvation. The issue is his lordship. Many people are saved and they're going to heaven. That isn't the issue. The issue is, does he become Lord of your life? Does he the one who makes the primary decisions within your life and you obey his primary commands? Or is it a life that you want to live? Come on, are you here? So we see here, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he already understood from the very beginning that he was going to bring glory to Christ through this type of life and through this type of ministry. So the next time you say, Lord, I want to be used like the Apostle Paul. Maybe you should consider reconsider your prayer. Can you go through the same process and drink the same cup that he did by which you bring glory to God? We know Peter talks about that, you know, uh, with regards to suffering and persecution and all these things, that there's a spirit of glory that comes upon us. A lot of times we say, God, I want glory. He goes, "Okay, sure. Do you know how it's going to come about? Oh, no, well, I don't want it that way. Can we do a reconsider? Come on, are you here? Now, I want us to look into something powerful. And this is where we want to come to understand. So we see in Agabus... He's a spiritual guy who gives a word but doesn't impute his soulish interpretation. And I think it's appropriate to say even within our house. This is why, you know, uh, people that come, we have leaders and we have a structure. Why do we do that? The reason why we do this is because we don't want a lot of soulish activity come in in the guise of spirituality. OK, this is why we have a tight reign because in the charismatic church at large and in the Pentecostal, there's a lot of people giving out words that is like it's a little bit of a Babylonian advice that's here. And it's coming out of people's souls and it's not something that's spiritual or they're unlike Agabus. And here's the thing from Agabus. He's a legitimate prophet that stands in the office. This is why even when people don't stand in an office, but they try to operate in the prophetic, it can get kind of squirrely. And so we want to understand that we want accuracy. Part of being a life giving church is that we're accurate in spiritual things. We're not inaccurate. In other words, when you aim for bullseyes, you hit bullseyes. You don't sit there and you hit something over here and kill somebody. Agabus didn't say this is what's going to happen. Therefore, the Lord says, don't go. You see that? And you know, even as a pastor, we're going off, is this okay? Uh, Even when I'm overseas, even prophetically, One of the things that I notice when I'll go out on the road or I'll go and minister, I actually operate a lot more prophetically and have strong words of the Lord and things like that. It happens more so overseas than here or when I'm out on the road. Why is that? Because oftentimes when you get to move in the prophetic amongst your own people, because of the more strong pastoral hat that I wear, they'll go, well, pastor, you just know my business in that particular area. And so what happens is they'll sometimes not receive you in that prophetic role, because they think you're speaking out of knowledge that you know about them, which is true, but they fail to understand that as a pastor, I have to make judgment. Is this the word of the Lord, or am I doing this by secret knowledge that I may have already of you because I'm already counseling you or something like this? And so sometimes they're like, I receive you as pastor, but I don't know if that's really the word of the Lord. And so sometimes what happens is even as a pastor, you can get bound up in your prophetic gifting. That's why it usually has a greater operation overseas, because when you're there, you don't know them. You're not called to be their pastor. You're not doing counseling. You just fly in. You look real good. And then you sit there, preach, give words to the Lord. Like, how did you know that? Oh, my goodness. This was definitely God. And it's true. But you come amongst your own people. They're like, no, we had a counseling meeting. and That's why you're saying these things. It's true. And you're like, uh, you, just, you all saw it. You're like, uh-huh, yeah. we we we'll see you as our pastor, but that prophetic word, I don't know about that. But we want to look at Peter operating spiritual and then all of a sudden operating soulish. It says in Matthew chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So how many know that if you're a disciple and you're following Jesus and he sits there and he gives the word of the Lord, this is something prophetic that he is already telling you is going to happen. You may be a little bit disappointed if you have particular ambitions like Peter. In fact, all the disciples, who's going to be the greatest, right? They all shut up when Jesus said, hey, what you guys talking about? Uh, Right? Remember that? And then all of a sudden the conversation went mute and went quiet. They're like, mm, we were arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Who's going to sit to your right? Even, even mom gets involved. Can one of my sons be on the right and on the left? They're super ambitious. Right? They're already sitting there and they're already discussing amongst them. No, I'm going to be this right. No, I'm going to be here. No, you can be the left. I'll be at the right. No, I'm going to be the secretary of defense. I got the sword. I know how to use it. I've been trained for it. That's my position. So they all in their mind are thinking of a natural kingdom, not of a spiritual kingdom. Jesus is thinking and he's always sitting there smacking that thing down. That's why he says on two occasions, just with his disciples. This isn't even including to the Pharisees, which he tipped his hand. Right. Hey, just show us a sign. No, the only sign is going to be given is the sign of Jonah. Just as three. Right? It's again, speaking into that area. So Jesus was all the time saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And finally, the disciples who are so ambitious for position in this new leadership. Again, what did they want to do? They wanted to make him king. They're ambitious to establish their own kingdom. This is following in line with the Macedonian Wars, back even the intertestament between Malachi and, and the gospel. We see they were ambitious to establish Israel as their own nation. And that's the way they're thinking. They're always thinking that way. And so when Jesus sits there and gives a word, it cuts and it starts to trigger them. Mm. No, this isn't part of the plan. What do you mean you're going to die? What do you mean you're going to leave? I don't like this idea because this isn't part of my agenda. And sometimes in the church it can be like that. People come into the church and it's about my agenda. But this is what I did, you know, in this season or in that season. Well, you're in a new season. Hallelujah. It's a time to surrender. In our culture, we're all about making it and climbing the corporate ladder and being entrepreneurial. And the best that I can be that we've learned we fail to learn the most important thing is humility and surrender in the kingdom. It's counterintuitive to our nationalistic ways to surrender. That it's not about me. It's about his will. So notice Jesus says this, and I actually believe it's to bring a provocation to bring an alignment to their motivations. Notice what Peter says next. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Notice that. What does he do? He begins to rebuke him. Why? Because his own soulish ambitious is so strong inside of him that he wants to get his way. It's my way or the highway. Well, bye bye. (laughs) So we see here, mind you, before we actually read what is actually said, did you know here in Matthew chapter 16, he was actually speaking by the Holy Ghost, literally right before this, he said to the guys, hey. Who do men say that I am? Well, you're Jeremiah, you're Isaiah, you're one of the prophets. And then he looks at the disciples, and says, but who do you say that I am? And he says, this is Peter, Peter, this guy right here. He hits it and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God.'" He's moved and he's as it opened up to him. Jesus commends him, affirms him and said, flesh and blood has not revealed to you, But my father, which is in heaven, in other words, He gave him an attaboy. Wow, you are moved by the spirit of God. So here we have Peter who's like, well, of course. (laughs) Of course, I'm the most spiritual guy here. Did you hear that, Andrew? You hear that, James? It's me. John, I know you're close to him, but I'm the cat's meow here. I'm the one who was bold enough to say who he really is and moved by the Holy Ghost to speak what is true. You guys missed it. You guys were a little bit scared. (laughs) Not me. The Bible doesn't say that. I'm just kind of playing this up. Come on, are you here? But it's not, my point is this. He, he got it right. And then all of a sudden this occurs. Jesus is like, I'm going to the cross. Peter takes him aside, rebukes him. Probably on the back of the affirmation, which he's feeling really big. But now this word confronts his Ambition. So he's moved by the Holy Ghost and says something spiritual. And now he's moved by a different spirit because of his own personal ambitions. You see, the enemy knows where your personal ambitions are and moves to accommodate your personal ambitions in order to try and get your way. Watch this. So Jesus, being a sweet pastor that he is. Jesus turned to him and said, oh, please. Please. Don't you remember what the prophet said? Come on. Let's have a counseling meeting with you. You don't notice what he says. Jesus turned and said to him, Peter, get behind me, Satan. One moment he's saying flesh and blood hasn't revealed it to you. The next discipleship connect meeting, He says, get thee behind me, Satan. Some of us like the first affirmation. We don't like the second. <laughs> Jesus' process of discipleship follows this. You will find out that this is his whole process is to mature people by bringing the sword to bring confirmation to trigger you from your soulish ambition in order to get you to the place to where you make a decision. You see, most of us go chasing anointings. Anointings come upon you because you make decisions. It's a problem with the charismaniacs in the world today within our nations. We go chasing for anointings rather than understanding when you make decisions that are in accordance with the spirit of God. His anointing will be right there on your decision. You're like, I don't know if I should go to that internship. I don't know. I felt it at first, but maybe it's not. When you step out, boom, that's when miracles occur. When ministry is going big in Southeast Asia and people are calling you up and they want you to come and preach in Bible colleges that are mega, I mean, huge and doors are opening all over and the spirit of God says, but I want you to go to a sleepy town on the West coast called Santa Cruz with a handful of people and build a church. And your ambition says, no, it seems more appropriate to build ministry and to be more successful for you, Lord, bring more people to you, Lord. Cast out more devils because, you know, those people in Asia, they're fully demonized. I can cast out more devils there. I can bring more healing. I can bring more people to salvation. But he says, it's not about your ministry. Am I your ministry? Is the gift that I gave you your Lord or am I your Lord? So therefore, when I tell you to go, why don't you just obey me? That's why in one moment we can sit there and be in the spirit. and the next moment, we're being moved by a different spirit. And notice Jesus' response didn't say, hey, by the way, don't worry, Peter. You know, I know you missed it. Get thee behind me. Say, but we'll have a Freedom in Christ seminar in two months. There are some that come out by prayer and fastings. There's others that come about by the decisions that you make. You see, the enemy knows where your ambitions are at. And he moves upon you to exercise your own lordship over your own life. And this is where the life of surrender. It's a topic that in our American church, we don't like surrender. We don't like humility. We don't like dying to self. We don't like the message of denying ourselves, carrying our cross. We don't like that. We would rather have, you know, 10 steps to the greater me. Five steps on how I can be a better this or a better that everything is on a theological lesson can groom to increase your soulishness. We love the messages to the crowds, but not to the disciples. The crowds were just there for themselves. Give me some bread. Give me some fish. Give me healing so that once I get the healing, I can go back to live in the life that I want. Yeah, just give me parables. Why do you think Jesus spoke parables? He didn't speak parables to the disciples. They just didn't get it. He speaks parables to them. He says with the scripture says, and without parables, he didn't speak to them. So every time you talk to if you're part of the crowd, every time Jesus opens up his mouth, he's speaking in a riddle. You're like, huh? What did did he just say? I didn't get what he said. Huh? Huh? He's speaking in riddles, Parables. And then he brings them aside. And then even his old disciples, how come you're always speaking in these things? And what did he do? He unpacked and he gave insight to what he actually meant in the riddles. He says to them, it hasn't been revealed, but to you, it has. Why is it they were revealed? Because they left everything already. They left their boats. They left their family. They left everything. And so therefore, because of the decisions that they made, they were qualified to receive things that were deeper. You see, you can't expect to be part of the crowd and get the deep things of God. His anointing is released after you make decisions. His knowledge is given to you because you make decisions. Just give me, give me, give me, give me. But what about your own life? You're still ambitious for your own wage. The scripture talks about being ever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the kingdom. People are every they're heaping up. Listen, and we are living in a Google age in which, listen, by our phone, we can get access to any information. But the more information that we're getting, the more unwise we're getting as a people. Because true wisdom doesn't come from Google. It comes from the spirit of God. Come on. Are you here? I'm preaching better than you're responding, my friends. So he says, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned to him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. You are a what? Stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And that's true because he was all about establishing and getting my own. That is so good. I got to go and get my own in this life. I got one life to live. I'm going to go and get my own. Well, I'm not here to get my own. I'm here to get his will into the earth. He who does the will of God, he is going to be honored in the kingdom. You have to make it a to a determination. Are you going to be Lord of your life? or Are you going to allow him to be Lord of your life? So notice this. And by the way, in another gospel, when this is stated, because it's said in more than just the book of Matthew, it says that before he rebukes him, he turns to his other disciples and looks at them. I thought that was always curious. Why does he say before he says, get thee behind me? He looks at his other disciples because he wants the fear of the Lord to be inside of them and up op- and see what he's actually doing to Peter. He's looking, saying, take watch. Look what I do. This, this guy. And it's not because he doesn't love him. How many know this could by objective outward standards look at it like Jesus? Did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Did you have low blood sugar when you sat there and you rebuked him? You're not being very pastoral. This isn't a pastor I want to be under. Who's so strong, who says, on one moment, affirms me, yeah, I feel great. And that says, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> this isn't someone in the crowd. And this is not a Pharisee or a Sadducee or an opponent of the gospel. This is his disciple. Yeah. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke that doobie. <laughs> and you think I'm strong behind the pulpit. I never say, get thee behind me, Satan, to any of you. Yeah. You think I'm strong. You obviously haven't read the Bible and really meditated upon it. Jesus said some very hard things. I mean, a guy sits there and says, Lord, I'll follow you. Let me first go bury my parents. Let the dead bury the dead. Not very nice. Not very pastoral at all. Come on. Jesus said something. Like I said, Jesus is very demanding, but he's never controlling. Control is, this is the demand, but you better do it or else I'm going to send guys after you and use threat. You leave it. Same thing with the young rich ruler, right? Very demanding. There's one thing that you lack, and we're going to get into that next week. This is powerful that when you see the processes of Jesus' desire, what is unpacked more in here isn't just the miracles that happen for the crowds but the miracles that were done that brought about the process of discipleship in the lives of people. That's what's very, very apparent in the gospel. So notice it, get behind me saying you're a stumbling block. You don't have the mind that concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then it continues on. Then Jesus said to his disciples, so he rebukes him, get thee behind me. And then he starts to have a conversation with the disciples and is actually using this interaction that he just had, bam, and then Jesus bams him back. And then it has a teaching session. Notice what the teaching session revolves around. Watch this. Then Jesus said to his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciples, how many want to be a disciples? Or do you want to just be part of the crowd? If you want to be my disciple, whoever wants to be, must do what? Number one, what? Deny himself. So you say you want to be a disciple or do you just want to be a casual follower? If you want to be a disciple, you have to deny yourself, your what? Your soul life. In other words, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you to do something and moves upon you, do you use all kinds of natural excuses why it can't happen or it's, quote, unquote, not your season. When the Holy Ghost moved on you and you knew it was God and you decide, well, listen, most things that God will have you do, he'll have you do it at a time that's most inconvenient. That's what I found out right when ministry is about to bang over in Singapore. Will you go to the cross? Oh, man, I could have said, well, it's not our season right now. Don't you know doors are opening up in Asia? Most things that I've done, it required me to step out in faith. Why am I hitting on that? Because that's the rhetoric that I often hear. Where does that even come from? Where's that even come from? Where's that even in the Bible? When you step out in faith, listen, sometimes it's the most inconvenient time, but you have to go against what I see. Boom. I'm going to obey the word of the Lord. Notice this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must number one, deny themselves. Number two, take up the cross. What is that? I've said this before. It's an instrument of what? Death. A debt to what your own soul life, what you want. Now, again, if you just want salvation and you just want your insurance program to get to heaven. Great. We're not talking about you. Congratulations. We'll see you in heaven. Hopefully some of us are going to make it by the skin of our teeth. And the last time I checked, I don't have a lot of skin on my teeth. I want to be, again, I only have one life. You and I only have one life to live. If you're going to live, what are you going to live for? That's what I want to challenge you. Listen, what do you have to this life? How much longer do you have? If you even are going to live to 100 years old, I only got 50 more years. I don't know how many years you might. Some aren't going to make it to 100. And if we only have one life, we better live it with gusto. I've always been, and I've said this, an all-in. I'm just going to put everything in. This is real. Jesus changed my life. Jesus has changed your life. We only have one chance at this life. Let's live a life to the gusto in a spiritual sense. Amen. Notice this. Deny yourself, take up your cross, then follow me. He doesn't say just follow me. That's part of the easy believism in the church, in the American church. today. just follow Jesus. No, that's not what it is. It says, first, deny yourself, then pick up your cross, then follow him. We don't usually like the other two. We just like the one. For whoever wants to sa- notice this, whoever wants to save their suke, suke, their soul life. Peter had a soul life. No, you're going to be king and I'm going to sit at your right hand. This is what I envision. Now, notice Peter Peter is not disobeying the uh, Ten Commandments. He's not in adultery. He's not lying. He's not stealing. He's not chewing or going with women who do. That's a little joker right there. (laughs) In other words, he has right relationships around him. In other words, he's not committing sins of commission. Nor sins of omission. That's usually in the church. Are you doing this? If you're not doing this, if you're doing or don't do it, that makes you a good Christian. If we obey laws, he's not doing any of those things. He's not breaking any of the laws. He's a good Christian boy. He's in fact, you could look at at the optics of Jesus and say that he's looking out to protect Jesus. No, I'm not going to let you happen. I'm your guy. Right. When they come for you, I got your back right i got your back don't worry about it in fact all the other disciples could say yeah we got your back jesus and peter we're going to let you as our new leader cuz you obviously are in tune with what god's saying i mean jesus could have operated his disciples like they were aboard popular let's vote on this should i go to jerusalem no don't go to jerusalem hands down okay i got to go and do what my board told me to do Churches and be board driven. It's to be driven by the purpose of Christ. Come on, are you here? So, Peter isn't committing any sins of commission. There's no carnality in there. The Bible says the works of the flesh, they're obvious. We're not talking about the obvious. We're already talking to people that that's not even a consideration because of the, the obvious things. We've got the devils out of you. You've got you're going on in Christ. This is an issue of soulishness, not whether you're carnal, whether you're soulish. And in one moment, a disciple of Jesus, by the way, this is at the end of a third year discipleship program by Jesus himself, who's a better disciple than any of us will ever be. And he still has to with Peter in the third year deal with his soulishness. And you think you're all that? Let's put things in perspective. You're not the cat's meow. If we are, it's because of the grace of God. So he is using this as an opportunity to expose soulishness in Peter and saying this for all you guys. Beware of this activity right here of you being soulish and exercising your own ambitious to get your own way. even at the end of the age, right? Can you drink this cup? Yes, I can drink this cup. I want to drink this cup because I know in my ambition where I want to be. Trying to spiritualize our soulishness and using rhetoric of soulishness. Well, it's not my season right now. No, step out in faith. You felt the Holy Ghost move on you to do it. Obey, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus is trust and obey. Now, watch this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their suke or their soulish life for me will what? Find it. You say, I don't know if I can do it. It's the best decision you can ever make. I've, of course, used my own example. I wanted to be a pro triathlete. I had visions of me running in Kona and crossing the line, going like this and being on, you know, sports illustrated as Ironman of the year. And God's like, that's not what my purpose is for you. I want you to be a preacher of the gospel, a preacher of the gospel. I like the notoriety that comes from being an Ironman winner. But who am I going to live for my own? That was my personal. That was my I'll never let that happen, Lord. And I have to make a a decision. Do I deny myself? Which means I literally have to now change my whole lifestyle. Where before I'm training six hours a day. Working six hours a day. And everything. Now in order to prepare myself for what I know God has called me to do. I reorchestrate. I literally gave it away. Gave my bike away. Gave all these things away. Why? Because I know I'm called to the ministry. It's an inconvenience. In order to fulfill the purpose of God and the cause of Christ in your life. I no longer train for those things. And listen, those things began to die. But I'm telling you now, looking backwards, it's the best decision I ever made. That's brought blessing. Unbelievable. I tried to bait people through my testimony and through the word of God. You want to do it. It's the best decision you'll ever, there's no regrets to it. Are there difficulties? Is denying yourself difficult? Absolutely. But at the point in which you, this is why I say anointings and the power of God comes on your decisions, because once you say, I've made the decision, and you make your yes be yes and your no be no, and you make that decision, boom, God's power comes upon you, and now you're walking in a different world. Because now where everybody's sinking in the mire of their own pool that they're drowning in, you're now walking on the water. And people are looking at you like, how are you doing that? It's because I made a decision. And listen, the decision probably came to you, too. You just made wrong decisions. But whoever loses their life will find it for me. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can every man give in exchange for their soul? In other words, in your own soul, just like Peter. It's like, I'll never let this happen. He would have went right to the top. He's saying, but if you would have gained that whole thing, but yet you forfeit your own soul, you forfeit the life that is afforded you in the hereafter. It puts an eternal perspective. It puts an eternal perspective on the things that we do. And everyone says. You've been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, fhus.org. Thanks again for tuning in, and please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.